Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So Georgia began spring practice yesterday. Kirby Smart spoke to the media and through the media to Georgia fans yesterday. And I think some of what Kirby Smart said about one of the hottest topics out there, the Georgia quarterback situation, I think some of this was exactly as you would expect it to be. And I think another part of this was maybe at least somewhat revealing. Now, admittedly, I'm about to, over the course of the next couple of minutes, probably be a little bit guilty of dangerous reckless speculation but you know what that's kind of the business we're in sometimes so we're going to read probably way too much into what Kirby Smart says here we're going to go between the lines maybe more than we possibly should but all of this is in just sort of good fun about a topic we're all quite interested in hey after back-to-back national championships after a historic career for the former starting quarterback Stetson Bennett who is next in line to be the Georgia starting quarterback we I mean listen on a show like this we get into offensive line we get into all 22 you know positions we get into everything at some point in time but there is no denying that the that the most fun position battle that's going to be playing out here the 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 thing that generates the most interest is the quarterback competition and it's safe to say there was plenty on that from Kirby Smart yesterday so I want to kind of roll through a couple of things he had to say I'll kind of tell you what I think about this and we'll sort of see if we can kind of lay the groundwork for where we are on quarterback as Georgia begins its journey through the 2023 season starting with the initial statement from smart on quarterbacks that at least begins with the most predictable way of describing this possible this Kirby smart on his quarterbacks from yesterday well we think we have three really good quarterbacks and I'm really excited about all three of those guys to grow and get better we will never well I won't say never it's not right I mean we will, we will not be live we have not been live with our quarterbacks in the seven years I've been here so we will not be live with them unless we decide we need to. Um, I do look forward to seeing you know, Carson and Brock getting uh, a lot of that action. Um, they'll both rep with the ones. Um, as far as how much, that'll that'll play itself out over the course of spring. Gunners come a long way. I'm excited to see what those guys can do. They've been excited about meeting and, uh, and, and doing things with, the, with uh, Coach Bobo and the offensive staff. So I'm excited to see those guys go practice and compete. So the initial statement there from Kirby, as I said before, like you could have written this, you could have – etched this in stone you would have known at some point in time to begin spring practice Kirby Smart would say something to the effect of oh we think we have three really good quarterbacks like that is that is the way these kinds of competitions are always discussed in fact I'm sure you will hear a lot of Georgia players when we do hear from them throughout the spring leading into G-Day even after G-Day I'm sure you will hear plenty of Georgia players say something to the effect of oh we think we have three really good quarterbacks now part of that's because that's just what you say but there is also an element of Georgia probably does have three really good quarterbacks. And this isn't a this isn't a situation where you're trying to find out who the dud is and so you don't play him. This is one of those things of three really pretty good options who kind of bring their own unique skill sets to the table here. Which of these is sort of best positioned to lead Georgia right now? That that there's a reason that you say we have three really good quarterbacks because in Georgia's case, they probably do have three really good quarterbacks. It has the... Uh, the, the sort of convenience of actually being true even though George would probably say that Kirby Smart would probably say that no matter what so you could have assumed that Smart might say something along those lines to begin his discussion about quarterback yesterday but that does not mean that Smart didn't reveal something I think in that statement there Smart was at least a little bit revealing here and as I mentioned a moment ago this may be the spot in which hey I'm too guilty of speculating or too guilty into reading into what's not there but I found it to be a little bit interesting that Smart says okay there's going to be a combination of number one reps going the way of Brock Vandegrift and Carson Beck they are going to have their specific competition going on with each other and then below that right now we've got the younger guy Gunnar Stockton who are going to who's going to be vying for his own playing time but there's a little bit of separation here a little bit of respect if you will which sounds like to me a little bit of respect for experience in the program Vandegrift and Beck have more of that therefore they're going to split number one reps and Gunnar Stockton is going to be just underneath that working to make a name for himself and working to push his way into that competition with that group up there at the top 
I found that to be pretty interesting. I was on the radio this morning with our friends in Athens, Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and the way that I said it there was, hey, if there were gambling odds to be the next Georgia starting quarterback, Carson Beck would likely already be the favorite. But based on what Kirby Smart says right there, I believe if I were setting odds on Beck eventually being the starter, I might put a little more odds in Beck's favor now. In other words, it had Smart said something different yesterday, had he said something effect of, oh, we think we have three really good quarterbacks, and guess what? It's a fresh start for all three. New offensive coordinator, new situation. Stetson Bennett's not here anymore. We want to put all three of these guys in an equal competition, level, flat playing field for all three guys, and see who emerges from that. Well, if that be the case, all of a sudden now Beck is vying against two other guys on equal footing with him to be the starter, but that's not what Kirby Smart said. He said, hey, it's going to be, at least based on that, it's going to be kind of Beck versus Vandegrift here right now with Gunnar Stockton underneath that. All of a sudden, that respect for experience kind of leans back into the guy that has the most experience overall, Carson Beck, and the guy who was number two a year ago. So if you're a Carson Beck fan or if you're kind of you know putting your chips on the Beck part of the table here that he eventually becomes the starter I think some of that from Kirby yesterday at least to my ears makes it sound a a little more likely but that is not the same thing as saying that it's all wrapped up it's all said and done because just like I told you the day that I feel like Gunnar Stock will be heard from this competition I also feel like Brock Vandegrift will be heard from in this competition as well in fact Kirby kind of talked up the Vandegrift part of this a little bit when he was asked to make the comparison between Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift the two quarterbacks that are maybe taking those lead number one reps here right now at practice what do you see from both these guys maybe when it comes to arm strength the comparison between the two and the quarterback situation overall here is a little bit more from Kirby Smart on that. I think it's hard to say who's got a strong arm. I think those two guys would argue about who has a stronger arm because I don't, I don't honestly know who has a stronger arm just from what we've seen in the past. You got to see those guys play in game action. I think they both got really good pocket presence. Um, Brock is a is a really good athlete. Brock has added about 14 or 15 pounds of muscle. Um, he wanted to get back to 215 out of his 203. 204 playing range so he and and Carson has lost a little weight uh, from 220 so they're right at the same size Um, it's hard to say you know the differences in those two I don't think people give Carson enough credit for being a good athlete he was a really good baseball player he has great movement skills he's not going to run as fast as Stetson I think Brock is a good athlete Um, you can see the field Carson's probably played a little more um, but both those guys are good, and look, I, I, I wouldn't count Gunner Stockton out of this thing because this kid's talented, smart. Uh, I got to see him uh, on the scout team the entire year and really saw him grow. So, I mean, when Munkin left, I, you know, I asked him about where he thought our quarterback room was. He was very adamant that we have three really talented young quarterbacks, and Mike inheriting that room certainly feels that way too. So uh, I'm excited about those guys. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go back to something I said a couple of weeks ago when it, as it relates to the Georgia quarterback situation. Hearing everything that Kirby Smart said right there, doesn't that sound like this is going to be fun? I mean, don't you want to see Carson Beck more with your own eyes? And don't you want to see Brock Vandergriff more with your own eyes on GD? We'll get a chance to. Uh, with Gunnar Stockton there as well. Like, this is one of those situations, as I mentioned, where it's easy to say, hey, we feel like we've got three really good quarterbacks because there's a very good chance that Georgia truly does have three really good quarterbacks. And the competition to see who emerges as the starter for Georgia, who has the chance to lead Georgia to another national championship, I got to tell you, I think this is incredibly entertaining and I think it's going to be really, really fun. And as far as like predicting the eventual winner goes, I'm not going to kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit because. I said there a minute ago that, hey, if I'm a Carson Beck fan or if I'm Carson Beck, the the way in which Smart described all this yesterday, maybe it makes me feel like I am a little bit more established as the favorite to eventually win this job. But on the other hand, be very, very careful counting out Brock Vandegrift in a discussion like this. And I will go back to something that Jake Fromm said a couple of weeks ago. We were talking to him, and I asked Jake the question. In fact, you should go back and hear the – conversation was two weeks ago we were talking about what it's like being the number three quarterback at a place like Georgia that there is this sense at times that the number three quarterback is kind of out of sight out of mind you're not Gunnar Stockton running as the scout team quarterback and getting the buzz that sometimes comes from uh, from from going up against that number one defense the way that Stetson Bennett would have back during 2017 and all the talk that you generated there you're also not the backup the guy that's ready to play if the starter gets hurt you're kind of stuck in that sort of in-between position 
And it, it does seem like at times that their third, number three quarterback sort of ends up being a little bit out of sight, out of mind. That's not just true for Brock Vandergriff this year. I think a lot of us would say that was true for Carson Beck when he was in that same situation in 2021. We were hearing a ton about, you know, JT Daniels. You may have been hearing a ton about, you know, you know, whatever else, the exciting young quarterback in Brock Vandergriff. But who's this guy, Carson Beck? What does Georgia have in this guy? He's sort of stuck being the number three quarterback. What does Georgia really have in him? All of a sudden, another year comes. Now he sort of ascends to the number two spot, and a lot of Georgia fans started to feel like they knew a little bit more about what Beck brought to the table. They may have felt like they knew more about what Stockton brought to the table because of the role that he was in. But as Jake Fromm told us two weeks ago, hey, when it comes to being the number three guy, it's a little bit hard to figure out what your role is supposed to be. But that doesn't mean that your eventual role can't be starting quarterback, leading this team to great success. So the fact that he's been elevated into essentially an equal position with Carson Beck here right now, I think if I was a Georgia fan, I'd take that pretty seriously. And I would be very careful not to assume that Beck is the obvious winner just because you feel like you know more about him right now than you do Brock Vandergriff. I think this is a real competition. And I've told you before, as Kirby Smart said there, hey, I don't count Gunnar Stockton out either, which is fine. But it seems like right now the two guys getting their first chance to show what they're all about, it's Beck versus Vandergriff. Seems like a really good competition. Two guys that kind of bring a little bit different skill sets to the table, but both guys who have an outstanding chance to succeed. I cannot wait to watch. Everything we hear about this over the course of the next few weeks, seeing it with our own eyes there on G-Day, a lot of pressure on these young men. They're vying for a very valuable position to be quarterback at a place like Georgia with a chance to go for three in 23. This is going to be good drama here over the course of the uh, months to come. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management, and we are happy to have you with us. No matter where you uh, come from today, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, Athens, Sports Radio 96, The Ref, of course, podcast, Apple, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com, everything else in between. We'll look forward to uh, just welcoming you on whichever platform you decide to join us on. We're so grateful to have you with us. And, of course, grateful for our friends at Breda Pass Management for making it all possible there as well. You know, this is that time of year where you know, it gets a little warmer. Some of those critters start coming out of the woodworks, no pun intended, and then it gets cold again. All of a sudden, those critters are looking for a place to... Uh, go get warm again and sometimes the place they look to is your attic you know how that goes sometimes flying squirrels things like that uh well that's what braided pass management exists to kind of take care of those kinds of issues listen i'm not going into your attic and getting a flying squirrel out of your house but uh the folks at braided pass management certainly will or any kind of bug or critter issue you might be dealing with after all they are the official pest control provider of uga athletics and the kind of strength that it takes to be recognized to partner with UGA in a situation like this is the same thing they want to put to work for you there too. When it comes to termite protection for house, as a for instance, the company you've been working with, maybe they don't quite have the same level of resource in business since 1975, 125 employees all across our area. They don't have those kinds of resources, which means they can't save you the kind of money that Breda Pass Management is capable of saving you. Because when you make the switch to Breda, you're going to put more money in your pocket instantly just for making that choice. So please check them out online, BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. It is so great to have the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, Breda Pest Management, a part of Dog Nation Daily here today. Okay, a couple things coming up. Before we're done today, um, there was obviously also a large portion of Kirby Smart's press conference yesterday that was spent on some very serious subject matter, the continued aftermath of the Horrible accident that uh, that, that uh, happened in January that cost uh, Devin Willick, Chandler LaCroix their lives. That's obviously been a very serious situation. Kirby had a lot to say about that. I think we're going to play some of that for you here before the show is done here today and talk a little bit more about kind of where all this is as of now. We'll do that here coming up uh, before the show is done. We'll also hear from Mike Griffith on the scene in Athens today there as well as Georgia goes through pro day and uh, starts at spring practice, all of that coming up. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And, you know, the thing that I said on Monday show is, is that to me, there is no doubt the most important offseason storyline for Georgia is not the new starting quarterback at UGA. It's the new offensive coordinator that quarterback's going to be working with. Because, listen, in college football, coaching still matters. And we have seen in college football at times, average offensive coordinators make great quarterbacks into average quarterbacks. 
and we have seen great offensive coordinators make maybe at times average quarterbacks into very capable performers because the offensive game plan that teams employ, there is just a difference in an effective game plan and a less effective game plan. There's all kinds of statistical evidence across all of college football that demonstrates that's true, that if you have a sharp play-calling mind running your offense, you are in a position to succeed. And if you don't have that, no matter how much talent you have, there's a certain extent which on the offense side of the ball, a lot of talent doesn't necessarily overcome ineffective play calling. We've just seen that. So with Todd Munkin, who has been quite successful at Georgia, we've talked about those numbers in the past, moving on to the NFL, his replacement, Mike Bobo, is going to have a very big spotlight on him and not just for the quarterback he's about to select, as we talked about off the top of the show, but for the offense that is built around that eventual quarterback and the other offensive talent that exists with this program. And listen, I believe that Mike Bobo has a chance to be very successful. I think he's been successful here at Georgia before. I think he brings a certain level of continuity to the Georgia program. And it's that idea of continuity that I want to talk about here for a moment because we did get also a little bit of insight yesterday from Smart to kick off spring practice into some of what the Georgia offense is going to be like with Mike Bobo at the helm. And what you are led to believe from Kirby, based on what he said yesterday, is there may not be a great deal of obvious change from what Todd Munkin was doing a year ago to what Mike Bobo is doing now. I think if you're a Georgia fan and you liked the Munkin offense from the past, that might be viewed as good news to you. This is what Kirby Smart had to say about that yesterday. There won't be much change in verbiage. If anything, there'll be some additions, maybe some slight wrinkles, but we feel like the verbiage for the kids works great. He's comfortable with the verbiage. He was in it last year with Coach Munkin, so really our entire offensive staff. you got to remember, when Coach Munkin got here, some of that verbiage remained the same too. So it wasn't like it was a total uh, transformation of language, and you got to think about a guy like maybe Dale McGee or Hartley who've been here pre-Munkin and now they're here post-Munkin. There's a lot of carryover because BMAC, Stacy, and uh, Todd have all been in a room with Mike. Dale's known Mike for a long time. The decision was the continuity we have on offense. We want to keep that going, and i got a lot of confidence in Mike and the, the job he's done with offenses in the past. I want to make a quick point here for a moment. What Kirby Smart talked about there is is that the hiring of Mike Bobo will be a continuation of what George is going to do on offense, even though the results from Munkin speak for themselves, is that that his presence here clearly created a level of success that Georgia was not enjoying before he got here. I mean, that those numbers are just starkly, obviously true, that Munkin took this offense to another level. And yet, what Kirby Smart says there about the way in which the entire offensive staff functions together and the, the principles in place even prior to Todd Munkin, there is an element of that which is still true, even though the Munkin success is just so much better than anything that existed prior to him being here. And this isn't one of those kind of, if you want to use a political phrase like spin control, or you know, this isn't just something that Kirby Smart invented now as a way of explaining away Todd Munkin's absence. This is actually something that Kirby Smart spent a good bit of time talking about while Todd Munkin was here. It was obvious that Todd Munkin was a good offensive coordinator. But when you talk to Kirby Smart about the success the Georgia offense was enjoying, even while Munkin was the architect of all that success, Kirby Smart was still saying things throughout the last couple of seasons, much like he said right there, that it's also good coaches around the offensive coordinator, like Todd Hartley, like Del McGee, that make all of this possible. Let me give you an example here for a moment of Kirby Smart saying something during the Munkin era, very similar to what he said right there. Let's go back to after the South Carolina game where this past season Georgia scored, what, 48 points, something like that. You had all the you know, cool plays, the end-around play to Brock Bowers and all these clever offensive things that Georgia did that day completely just blasted. I mean, just absolutely, uh, you know, blew uh, South Carolina off the field that day. Offense was a big part of it. Todd Munkin in line to get some of the credit for that. But much like Kirby Smart just said for this year, hey, there's an offensive staff in place that maintains some continuity. Kirby Smart was also talking about that last season, too. Listen to how similar these statements are. This is Kirby from after the South Carolina game this past season. I mean, he was aggressive. Um, he did a good job calling it. He pushed together a good game plan. He'll tell you himself. He's got a great offensive staff. He's got guys that are in the room that have coached in the SEC, that understand the SEC. You know, the addition of Searles, BMAC, Bobo. I mean, those guys come up with game plan things. They know these teams. They know the personnel of these teams. So it really helps when you have a good game plan 
and you actually have people that can execute it because they have experience. So let me tell you what I think if you're a Georgia fan you should take from all of this. That if you've loved what Georgia's done offensively of course the last couple of seasons and of course you have I think there's plenty of reason to believe based on Smart's words from yesterday that's going to kind of continue and I don't say that to kind of whitewash away the impact that Todd Munkin has had Todd Munkin's I think uh an awesome unbelievable offensive coordinator and he created a level of success that Georgia wasn't having prior to him getting here but he wasn't the only good offensive coach Georgia had. It was good having Brian McClendon run this program a year ago. And Stacey Sarrells, while it was somewhat controversial, higher than it's made, it's pretty obvious that the uh, offense, offensive line worked pretty well with him at the helm. And the institutional knowledge you get from Del McGee's longtime experience and Todd Hartley's longtime experience, that's also a part of the offensive formula here too. And Mike Bobo was an analyst on this program a year ago. And it was Munkin himself who gave Bobo some credit for some of the offensive wrinkles that Georgia showed against LSU in the SEC championship game. That we are now, as we move into kind of the next phase of Kirby Smart's coaching career, there are some principles in place on both sides of the ball. Clearly, there's that on defense because of how much Smart loves that side of the ball. But we're starting to see some of that kind of come into place on the offensive side there as well. Todd Munkin was the one pushing the buttons the last couple of years that produced great offensive success, but the overall mechanism that can produce that success, a lot of that remains in place. And a lot, and we're going to do more of this later on this week too, by the way, but a lot of what George was already doing offensively, now Mike Bobo, who sat there and watched all that take place a year ago, now he gets to step back into the big chair and continue some of that also. For those of you who did not want the Georgia offense to change, Sounds like it's going to not change all that much necessarily. And for the rest of college football, who saw Georgia put together an offense that performed just as well as its defense did, well, that may end up being bad news for Georgia's national championship competition. And that is around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Manager. As I told you before, before we are all said and done on today's program, we're going to talk about some of the more serious off-the-field stuff relating to Georgia football uh, this past offseason. Kirby Smart taking a lot of questions about that yesterday, and we'll kind of have our say on some of that before we are all said and done and try to clear up some of the confusion that maybe existed around some of that from yesterday there as well. We'll spend a couple of minutes trying to do that. We'll also have some fun making fun of those lousy, stinking gators as well. That is all on the way. But prior to that, uh, you've heard my voice long enough. How about the voice of a guy who's in Athens right now? Uh, pro day going on for Georgia has a lot of the NFL draft hopefuls trying to make their case to uh, to to make a big move on a draft night coming up, and also his own reflections about the start of spring practice and what happened yesterday. With not just hearing from Kirby Smart, but throughout the week here on our show. We're also going to give you some of what Lad McConkey had to say, some of what Kendall Milton had to say, some of the Georgia guys who kind of also share their thoughts and some of the change taking place around Georgia football. Let's cover all that right now as we welcome in Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Busy day in Athens. Good to have Mike Griffith with us. We'll jump right into it. Uh, Mike, before you joined us, I talked quarterback. I talked uh, the introduction of Mike Bobo, I guess reintroduction of him as offensive coordinator. Let me let you hit those topics here for a moment, too. Then we'll can touch on some other stuff there as well. What did you make of the way in which Kirby Smart described his quarterback competition yesterday? Well, I mean, I think he just kind of put it out there. He made it pretty clear that, that it's Vandergriff and Beck uh, at the start of spring drills. They're going to split the number one reps, and, and Gunnar Stockton's going to continue to learn the offense. He's got some catching up to do, but he's impressed Kirby uh, with what he did with the scout team last year. So I thought it was pretty straightforward and, and pretty open-ended in terms of, you know, throwing both those guys out there. He, he didn't make it sound like one had an advantage over the other in terms of uh, – you know, what they're looking for. Uh, now obviously, Carson has more experience, but, you know, Brock Vandergriff's put on 12 pounds of muscle, and uh, he was second in the team run last week. Um, so uh, you got a heck of an athlete and a heck of a leader there, and Brock, a guy that's going to graduate in three years. Um, and then you have Carson, who's, you know, entering his fourth year, and, you know, we saw that electric arm, and, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, kind of is what it is. You know, I thought Kirby was very straightforward with that. So I kind of jokingly said I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth on this. On the one hand, if I was posting gambling odds 
on the eventual starting quarterback for Georgia. I believe if I had Beck as the favorite coming into the spring, I might make him an even more substantial favorite based on what Kirby Smart said yesterday, kind of acknowledging that, hey, this really for right now is sort of Beck versus Vandegrift with Stockton trying to make his push as opposed to sort of equal footing three guys kind of fighting you know, for the spot here. Uh, that would seem to be good news if you are Carson Beck or a Carson Beck fan. And yet on the other side of that coin, Mike, the other thing I said a moment ago is, hey, I wouldn't necessarily count Vandegrift out of this just because the average Georgia fan maybe feels like he knows less about Vandegrift right now than he knows about the other three. I think being the number three quarterback at Georgia can be kind of a weird role. It's less defined than being scout team quarterback where you're battling against the number one defense presumably every day. It's less defined than being the number two quarterback where you're getting ready in case the eventual starter goes down. But listen, at one point in time, it was Beck who was in that number three role in 2021 and yet last year we found out no this actually may be a pretty good prospect we may find out the same thing about Brock Vandegrift this year and I think he's one of those guys even with Beck being the favorite and maybe even a a larger favorite than I realized I think Vandegrift is still the kind of guy that you ought to take pretty seriously here well yeah I mean again and you know they're going to be looking for that quarterback that you know leads on and off the field and a lot of intangibles and you know the ability to run the ball um, both these quarterbacks have some mobility, but but Vandergriff's uh, on another level uh, running the ball than Beck is. Now I don't know how well Brock throws it. To your point, BA, we like Kirby said, you got to kind of see him throw live to determine that. We didn't see a whole lot of Brock uh, in the spring game last year. Um, we saw enough of Carson to know that he can really wing it. Uh, but but there's more to it, right? There's the off the field. There's the workout stuff. I think this year there's going to be more of an emphasis on the classroom and. And, and, you know, based on the do-it-for-dev, you know, testimony that we heard from the players, you know, Kirby's pretty serious about getting the standard, um, you know, with the players in terms of off-the-field actions and making sure they go to class and things like that. Um, he's, he's pretty serious about that. You know, last year he challenged Stetson in the spring to do things, you know, you remember that press conference where he challenged him in the classroom and doing things off the field the right way, things like that. I, I think he really means it. And I don't know – you know where Carson stacks up in that respect, but I knew I do know, uh, you know that Brock Vandergriff, when you consider you know his Prince uh, Avenue Christian, um, you know resume, his father being a coach, you know Brock is is all that, right? I mean he he's that All American you know guy on and off the field, and I think that stands for something. Um, at the end of the day, you've got to perform. I'm just not sure what type of offense they're going to run, right? I'm hearing less two tight end. Um, I don't think um, Oscar Delp is in the same category with, now who is with Darnell Washington, but I don't know if Oscar Delp blocks really well enough to run a double tight end. I think he might see more single tight end, and you know, if you see more of that 11 personnel, uh, how much RPO, uh, you know, how much do they move the pocket? I mean, there's so many questions, so many variables that while I agree with you that Carson Beck is the favorite, um, you know, I think Brock is a solid number two, solid, solid and I think Gunner's still learning the offense. Now, where will they be in the fall? I, I don't know that. We, we know this. We know Vandergriff's sticking around and graduating from Georgia, so it's not like he's going to leave after the spring if he's not number one. So I think that keeps Stockton firmly number three, um, probably entering into, you know, um, I would say exiting spring drills, and, um, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. Uh, as far as the offense itself goes, I think if you're a Georgia fan hoping to maintain some continuity for what was an incredibly successful offense over the course of the last couple of years, I mean, you got some words that affect yesterday. You know, I, you know, I like the idea of the verbiage staying the same. If I'm a Georgia fan, I, I like the idea of you know all these offensive coaches that were given credit a lot last year for helping make the offense what it was. A lot of those guys, you know, stay in place there too. I'm sure there'll obviously be some things different. You know, Bobo, like any man's going to want to put his own stamp on things, but it doesn't seem like there's a complete reinvention of what Georgia's doing offensively. And given the fact this team was so successful offensively, uh, that is probably pretty good news, Mike. If you're a Georgia fan. Well, I agree, and you know, and Kirby said, you know, when Munkin came in, there wasn't a complete invention. They kept a lot of the same verbiage then. So, and as far as putting the stamp on, I think it's more about putting the stamp on what the personnel can do. I don't, I don't think, you know, Bobo has any necessarily any tendencies outside of the Kirby Smart tendencies. If there's a stamp on the program, it's Kirby Smart. And, and Todd Munkin said that. You know, he said, hey, look, that's the head coach, and and we're going to do things his way. Now, you know, he operates under that framework of Kirby. Uh, but but to me that that's what's going to stay consistent. Is it? It's going to be it's going to be Kirby's way. It's going to be Kirby's uh, offensive philosophy, and it's up to that coordinator uh, to fit his package. You know, within those bounds. So I, I don't think the change in coordinators is important. 
uh, in, in terms of the scheme because I think the personnel kind of dictates the, the scheme and the alignments. And I think where you get into the uh, differences in the play calling and the third down conversion rate and then the whole chess game, right, the ability to see the game, to diagnose quickly, to be able to reach for that play in a split second. And then secondly, you know, it's how well do you train your players? You know, one of the great things about Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels or Jake Fromm or all these Kirby quarterbacks is they're all, they were all a coach on the field. Um, you train these guys to make decisions at the line of scrimmage. Now, they're predisposed decisions. It's not like, hmm, I wonder what he's thinking. It's, oh, he has that look, so he's supposed to do this. Oh, he has that look, so he's supposed to do that. And, and that's kind of how the, the pro-style offense works under Kirby Smart. And, and Mike Bobo, you know, all these, like I said, all these decisions that quarterbacks make at the line of scrimmage, these are predetermined reads based on meetings and training. And, and how well does Mike Bobo um, train these quarterbacks? And how quickly do they pick it up? Um, you know, Stetson was, was pretty good for the most part. There was a couple games where, you, where Kirby would kind of let you know he screwed up when he'd say something like, I think we're asking him to do too much. Well, that's a nice way of saying he didn't make the nice reads. But I can only think of two or three games out of the 31 that Stetson played, you know, where we really heard that. Same with Jake Fromm. Jake was pretty good. There were a couple games that, that Jake got, um, you know, psyched out a little bit. I mean, I think South Carolina, the three picks, albeit I didn't think his throws were terrible, but Muschamp was in the huddle. Um, so it, it does happen. Um, I like Bobo and what he brings, though, Brandon. I like the fact that you pretty much got a Mark Richt offensive staff. Uh, all these coaches coached under Mark Rick with the exception of Del McGee and throw Kirby Smart in there as well. He was a running backs coach for Rick. So it's kind of like you got the Mark Rick offense and the Kirby Smart defense is all uh, mashed together now and they just have to figure out what quarterback is going to run this next season. Yeah, that's an interesting way to describe it. Obviously, uh, a good portion of the early part of this press conference for Kirby yesterday was spent on what has been a very tumultuous offseason for Georgia and you know the continued aftermath of the accident that cost you know Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix their lives. And, you know, Mike, there's no doubt this is sad, but I think the investigation, whether or not anything sinister took place here, you know, I, I guess after all has been talked about, all has been examined, I just don't see that here, Mike. And you can make the case that the that the events that led up to what happened on that night in January could have been avoided. Possibly it could have been. But, you know, I don't see this being a situation particularly unique to Georgia necessarily. It was awful. Uh, this team's going to you know, live with that, both in terms of, you know, the, the, the memory of that night, but also their own, I'm sure, you know, emotions and feelings. And, you know, some of this maybe Georgia could have handled a little bit better. I, I don't mind telling you that. But after all has been investigated and all has been said, I'm just not sure what's left of this now terrible night but to me it sort of starts to feel like maybe this is now kind of coming to an end and and the page is kind of getting turned here what was your reaction to that part of this press conference admittedly a big part of the uh, early stages of this yesterday yeah so so a lot of yes and no there i mean obviously they're back on the field and and you know the primary focus is on football but and and I, just, I I was like you, Brandon. I I really thought you know Kirby's going to go in there. He's going to answer some questions, and guys, we're moving on now. But to hear the players talk, and I don't know if you had a chance to read the "Do It with Dev" story that I wrote uh, with some comments from Lad, uh, some comments from Zion Logue, some comments from Kendall Milton, and reflecting back on what Nolan said and and said what Kirby said. So they yes, the program moves on. Obviously, football goes on. But this program has made this tragedy part of their team DNA. It's like Lad said, it's not like we're going to start spring football and so we're going to forget about this. They're going to be with us always. To the point, Brandon, where Zion Logue was talking about how different position groups are going to be texting and reaching out to the families of Willick and LaCroix every week. Kirby Smart is not going to let these deaths go for nothing and be forgotten. He is going to, and he has, um, it, 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 it's now a part of the program. And it, 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 was, it was curious. I've never seen this approach taken, but obviously Kirby is, is, is ingenious. He's a tremendous team builder. And, and I think they're doing the right thing here. I would have never thought of this, but so what they're going to do is they're honoring Devin and LaCroix by, by how they carry themselves and the standard they set and their responsibility to live up to it. Like, they're not going to let those deaths be for not. Like, there's going to be lessons learned. 
th- these players are going to, you know, um, you know, be very aware, you know, of what can happen and how quickly things can go wrong. Um, I-, I was just fascinated by it, really. But it, it seems to be, and Kendall Milton said it too. He said, you know, that kind of dimmed the champion, you know, the light that was on the championship. And he's right. I was, I was glad somebody finally said it. It's not the same feeling as the offseason last year. This has marred, uh, at least in Athens. It's, it's obviously, I'm much closer to the scene here in Athens and in the university community. This has cast a shadow over what should be a, a glorious time. And it is still wonderful that Georgia won two national titles. But this tragedy has absolutely cast a pall, and how do you move forward with that? And that is the decision, um, and that is how Kirby Smart and his leadership and his players are embracing this. Um, and the do it for Dev is not just words, like Kendall said. Look, if it's just if you don't live by it and you don't truly honor, um, you know, with your actions and with the standards that you set for yourself and you keep, then it's just words. And they don't they don't do just words here. So this, to me, has been a very powerful motivator. I think the team has drawn much even even closer than before. Um, very very unique, Brandon. I've never in 30 years I've never seen an issue like this handled in this manner. But there is a in, in this indisputable presence. And when you come to Athens, and I know you'll be here in the next couple of weeks at some point because we always see you around here, you will absolutely feel it. So I think what you're saying is important, and it caused me to kind of want to, re- I guess, sort of rephrase what I was saying a moment ago, that, you know, everything that was talked about yesterday to me, Mike, felt like a kind of a, a rehashing of news that we learned weeks ago, whereas, you know, if you want to go back a few weeks ago, this had the feel of a developing story. New information was coming out. There was there was reaction to some of that new information. You know, we haven't gotten new information on this in, in, in a few weeks, and I am certainly glad to hear this team take so seriously the idea of of living in honor of Devin and, and obviously Chandler. I, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. But in terms of this being a developing story, I'm not going to predict that something new won't come out. But but for a while now, this is sort of had the had the feeling of uh, of a story in which the information that is to be learned has been learned. Is that the sense that you also got as well? For the most, from the Georgia side of it. Now, could there be another player or two or car or two or, you know, something that we don't know? The video's obviously not out yet. There will ultimately be video released, I believe. And when that happens, you know, and again, this, this happens in layers because of how our, um, and, and, you know, fans don't care about this, but, you know, the laws, in, the sunshine laws in Georgia are more protective. Um, you know, they're not quite as quickly as forthcoming as, is, you know, maybe other laws in other states. And, you know, this is by design. So it's not the media's fault. It's, you know, they've, they've requested all this information, and it's kind of getting drug out, you know, by these what we call sunshine laws. And so, unfortunately, I, I wish I could say I thought it was over, but I don't think it is. I, I think we're going to see more information. It'd be, it would be good. I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, can't we just, you know, put that part behind, the investigation part, like you said, not the, not the LaCroix Willick memories, but... Can we at least put the investigation part, you know, behind it and, and, and let Georgia move on for that? And it's like, well, I'm sure everybody, uh, but in terms of what Kirby's got to say about it, in terms of the program philosophy, in terms of how he feels about the rules, uh, you know, obviously they're adding a new position over there. Josh Brooks, the athletic director, they're going to they're gonna go over everything. Um, but that part's over with as far as how Georgia structurally uh, is going to respond. I do think there's some more, unfortunately, details that you know probably can and will leak out as you know the the sunshine laws permit and as the evidence is you know the investigation is you know completed. It's you know these investigations take quite some time. I, I think there's a, a couple key players that are still on the team. Most of the players, obviously, you know Jalen Carter here at the pro day I'm at right now. I'm watching Stetson throw some pretty nice spirals down the field, even the throwing portion of the of the uh, pro day over here. But a lot of the players moved on. Stetson with his off-field transgression in Dallas, he's no longer on the team. Uh, Jalen Carter no longer on the team. Um, you know, and those were two of the more high-profile players involved in uh, disappointing off-field actions, I would say. So, uh, But you, now the, the key to me, and, and I've said this before, and I really need to write it because I've, I've said it more than once, is Jamon Dumas-Johnson. And how does he respond to his off-field transgression? He's, he is absolutely a key to this team. He's the heart of the defense. He has to respond the right way. Cedric Van Pran, we know that he was uh, very close to this crash. 
Uh, we know he had a very difficult decision on coming back. Where is said at emotionally? Absolutely a leader on this team. Um, so the, the victims aren't just the deceased. The victims are within the team. There's still players that are that are trying to deal with this, and um, and those are questions, you know, other questions that have to be answered uh, properly for Georgia to be at their best this fall. So it, it's very complex, and and it, and it's um, and there is some drama to, if you want to use that word, um, because lives were lost, and these are young people that that have not experienced uh, something this intense and this close to them before, and. And um, as we all know, as we've all dealt with losses in our lives, or most of us have dealt with losses in our lives, um, there is a process to that. Um, Awkward to transition away from this, but you didn't mention the Pro Day thing. You're watching it right now. It's taking place. Some of our audience may also be watching on TV as they're enjoying our show right now. Uh, You see a long list of guys going through Pro Day, including a couple guys like Matt Landers coming back to UGA. Probably a pretty good idea for Matt and Amir and guys like that to be where there's going to be a bunch of NFL scouts if they want to get the most attention they can possibly get. The point is, uh, just kind of give me an overall uh, feeling of what it's like there to uh, to be there today. How many famous faces are you seeing from the NFL world? And uh, just kind of what's that like in Athens today for the uh, UGA Pro Day, kind of a rite of passage here at the beginning of spring? Well, a couple things. One, I always have said that when people say, well, who do you root for? Who's your favorite team? And I always say, you know, it's the people that you root for, and you meet people along the way that you root for. And I got to, I got to see one of my very favorite Georgia players, uh, a guy that I've just got so much respect for, and I love the story. And we've had him on Dog Nation. And that's Eric Stokes is here to support nice. his former teammates. I had a really nice visit with Eric. I uh, got to talk to him about yes, he's going to be back from the injury, and asked him about the Lambo leap and how much he's loving it. And I think Georgia fans remember Eric and and just what a great success story he was to go from being the lowest ranked guy in his signing class to the only first round draft pick the year he came out and. And the trials and tribulations as he got better and better and better as the Kirby Smart defenses, you know, grew into the most elite in the country. So, so great to see Eric Stokes here and have an opportunity uh, personally, right, to, to visit with him. And stories like that are why you like being a sports writer when you meet student athletes like that that represent so much about their community and their school. So, uh, personally, on, on that side note, me personally, very happy uh, to have a chance to, to catch up with Eric. Um, now, you mentioned the players being back, Matt Landers and, and Amir Speed, and I would tell Georgia fans, take notes here. Because um, a lot of times when players transfer away, uh, a lot of you know fans are of the, well, he's no longer a DGD, and a oh, boo to this guy. Look, Kirby Smart's bringing these guys back in the building for a reason, right? This is Kirby's way. You know, they're always going to be dogs. They're always going to be his players. It didn't work out for them here. That's okay. That, that happens, and, and we have to accept that this is the new world of college football, that sometimes things don't work out, and now there's rules in place for these kids to have opportunities to go other places. And, and you know, there's been, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that, that players, um, you know, that, that, you know, that Kirby said, we really wish you'd stay. Most of the time, Kirby's like, no, I get it. There's, you need, you know, we got these other players here, and we understand, you, you know, you want to move on. Um, so I, take note there, I would say, and, and Landers looks fantastic. And, you know, I remember talking with Sam Pittman and, Brandon, I remember me and you doing the show. I think you were doing a pregame show when I was at that Arkansas-South Carolina game, and I watched Matt Landers win to help help the Hogs uh, win some games. So good for Matt. I know he had some issues here with his consistency, and, and he obviously grew and and did well. You know, Stetson looks great. You know, if you haven't seen Stetson in his sleeveless uh, workout gear, I mean, he's got some guns. He looks more athletic than ever. Uh, I, again, I don't think that's the question. I think the question is the interviews and how does he handle it. And, and Georgia fans love that fight and that edge. And, you know, some of them even like, you know, you know the attitude. NFL times don't have time for that. Um, you're a backup quarterback. You know, go over there, do your job quietly, be supportive. Now, I'm not saying Stetson's always going to be an NFL backup, but that's what he's going to be drafted as. That's where he's cast. He's not being picked in the first round. You know, he's a guy that's going to go, I think, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round is what I think. There's a chance he could slide out if, you know, some other team, you know, get somebody ahead of him that they like more than him. But um, his interviews, once again, the interviews are going to be the most important thing he does is the attitude uh, that he gives and the vibe that he gives these GMs. And, um, you know, I thought the version that we saw in, uh, in Indianapolis at the Combine was certainly humbled down from what we saw at the parade, uh, but just talking with other NFL people, they see you know he, he needs to come down another notch. He needs to 
Um, you know, the, the chip is, it worked for him. It got him this far, but now the NFL, you know, it's not a, it's not a chip on the shoulder. So it's a, it's a performance. Uh, it's a performance business and none of the other stuff matters. Nobody cares about your story. Nobody cares what hometown you're from. It's all about the performance period. And don't bring anything else to the table, but performance because they don't have time for that story. Uh, so that's going to be important for Stetson. And, and again, he looks great throwing the ball. I thought he looked good last year. The mechanics that I've seen over the last two years, Brandon, the improvement um, has been really impressive. And Stetson kind of led us on to that when he told us, look, when you know you're going to play, you approach things differently. Ideally, everybody approaches every game like they're a starter. Stetson did. He'd be the first to admit it. You know, you think about 2021, sure. first series against Vandy in South Carolina, he chose picks. But once he became the starter, the mechanics, the work he's put in, so much better. Um, I have no doubt that he's got the talent. I think it's going to be another matter of opportunity for him. So, uh, can I saw Kenny run the 40. Jalen Carter only going to do field drills. I was a little disappointed. Kind of wanted to see him test out. The big question is, Brandon, how far down does he fall? And I guess everyone has to ask themselves, you know, how much would you invest in a guy who's made some uh, regrettable decisions off the field with a vehicle? I, I don't know the answer to that question. That's what these guys get paid. It's a risk-reward deal. If you think that Jalen's going to straighten it out and, and keep it under 75 on the highway, then hell yeah, he's a great deal in the top five. All right. But if you think he's going to have that track hawk going over 100 miles an hour, then maybe you think twice about drafting him in the first round. Well, we know you want to get back and watch uh, the Pro Day, so we'll let you do that. Thanks for being here today, Mike. We will talk to you soon. I appreciate it, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, so uh, Mike Griffith there on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. We'll get ready to transition here. Uh, cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And, boy, I love the idea of a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, especially on a day like this where it's cold outside. And, uh, you know, you get that final taste of winter, at least what I hope is the final taste of winter. Uh, thinking about the Caribbean where it seems like it's always nice and comfortable and warm. A uh, great time to be there. And listen, no better way to experience the Caribbean than on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Now, listen, Royal Caribbean also goes to Alaska and places like that, too, which can be its own fun experience and European vacation, things like that, too. Uh, no doubt you've got all kinds of an array of cruise vacations. But I sort of like driving down Port Canaveral, getting on the ship there and going to Bahamas, going to we were just in uh, Jamaica. We were in uh, a wonderful private destination in Haiti called uh, uh, Labadee. Uh, you go down to St. Thomas. You got all these great, great uh, uh, um, you know Caribbean destinations. That's what I think of when I think of Royal Caribbean. Although they got the uh, the Alaska stuff and everything else there as well. The point is, whatever your Royal Caribbean cruise itinerary of preference would be, our friend Jessica Slater, great travel agent, can help you out with all of that. You can give her a call seven seven zero seven one eight nine one four seven. That's seven seven zero seven one eight nine one four seven. She's a great travel agent. My recommendation to you is to use a great travel agent to book a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And there's no better travel agent I know of than my great friend Jess whether it be the cruise we're going to be taking in April, the Dog Nation cruise on board Independence of the Seas, or if you start looking ahead to January 2024, the debut of Icon of the Seas, and it really is going to be a complete redefining of the cruise vacation, really taking the best of all vacation experiences like water park at sea, largest water park at sea. you got a, almost like a beach-style vacation, a, a wonderful resort, all combined together in one amazing cruise ship experience. That's what Icon of the Seas is going to be all about, and I want you to check that out or really any of the other spring break itineraries, summer itineraries, all the stuff that Royal Caribbean's got going on. Jess can help you out with all of that. She's put together a great website for you. It's royaldogs.com. That'll give you information about the Dog Nation cruise and then a uh, way to get in touch with Jessica on the other Royal Caribbean stuff there as well, royaldogs.com. All right, let's dive in here before we get back to George and the start of spring practice yesterday. Let's do some cruising around the SEC stuff here, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I saw where the week one showdown, Florida, its return date to Utah has now been moved to a Thursday night. Now, first of all, this is one of the better week one games to begin the season. You got LSU Florida State again. Uh, but one of the better week one games this year is going to be Florida Utah. And now you get that, I think it's August 31st, that Thursday night date to kind of roll into that first weekend. And for those of us who love the idea of Billy Napier falling just as flat on his face as Dan Mullen did and Billy, uh, Jim McElwain did prior to that, you know, the idea of, of Napier kind of maybe failing to put up and what's a little bit of a put up or shut up type year for him not necessarily going to get fired at the end of the season but just sort of rendering himself the next in line of a series of failures for florida head coach 
you know, a game against Utah where, hey, listen, that was the one thing that Florida had to show for its debut season for Billy Napier. They did beat uh, Utah. Utah came into Gainesville, couldn't handle it that day. But listen, in the SEC, there are no bragging rights for being a Pac-12 team. You didn't hear Georgia bragging about beating Oregon. Uh, you don't hear Florida, shouldn't hear Florida bragging about beating Utah. SEC teams do not get bragging rights for beating Pac-12 teams. So, you know, you don't really get to hang a banner for, for beating Utah, but now you do have to go return the day. And listen, beating them in Gainesville is one thing. Going to Rice-Eccles Stadium on a Thursday night, where I'm guessing that crowd probably gets about as loud as a Pac-12 crowd does, that's a little bit different kind of thing. Obviously, Utah, you know, kind of hopes to take that next step. They've been good. They haven't been great. Uh, they need a, a little bit of a signature win. Well, clearly against a team like Florida, they would have a chance to get that. And with the entire world watching, a chance for Florida to sort of show what it is year two of Billy Napier uh, could be interesting to see that game getting moved to a Thursday. By the way, speaking of Florida here for a moment, I saw where uh, it looks like, you know, Florida has had all kinds of coaching replacements that have been needed because about half their staff moved on to work for the Arizona Cardinals. Never a great sign. Uh, for a first-year coach to have so many coaches leave after just one year. Florida's had some of that. It looks like they may be on the verge of bringing back Billy Gonzalez as wide receivers coach. Gonzalez was there for, I think, almost the entirety of the the Dan Mullen era. When Mullen got fired, he went to Florida Atlantic, and now he's coming back. So this is kind of an example of what Napier's sort of dealing with here at the moment, which is, you know, you didn't have much to show for your first season, but now you've also kind of lost some of whatever continuity you might have there as well. Trying to reach back here sort of prior to his era to bring back a guy like Gonzalez, who Florida fans know, who Florida knows. Uh, but certainly not exactly the kind of hire that's going to say, oh, boy, Napier's getting serious in the recruiting trail. Napier's getting serious about, you know, building this SEC staff. I mean, for a guy like Napier, whose claim to fame prior to coming to Florida was all kind of earned at the sort of group of five level, you know, the Sun Belt level, you know, going, getting a guy whose next stop after leaving Florida was a trip to Florida Atlantic. And I don't know that this necessarily corrects that part of the uh, Napier mystique here at the moment. So uh, we'll see how it all works out. Now, listen. As I told you before, the attempt to be fair and balanced here for a moment, uh, as objective as we're capable of being, you know, some of these analytics, math nerd types, you know, they do give Florida a little bit of a chance to to, to rise up and be better this year. Uh, SP Plus, some of those things from ESPN, they don't exactly hate Florida for the upcoming season. There are a couple of SEC teams uh, that might be a little higher, you might think, one of those being Ole Miss. Uh, but Florida is certainly there. So mathematically speaking, maybe Florida does have a chance at improvement. But when you try to put some names next to those numbers, new coaches in place, players you know, that are going to kind of emerge a quarterback, for instance, hard to see where that comes from from Florida. And so we'll continue to follow their offseason and we'll laugh when they falter. Uh, something that some folks are not laughing about right now, though, is an issue as it relates to the NCAA tournament. We told you the day. So I pretty much fill out my NCAA tournament bracket, and I haven't filled out mine yet. I know the first four was last night, but I still haven't filled out my bracket yet. Um, But when it comes to filling out a bracket, I am generally speaking pretty conspiratorial about it. I sort of look at and see, you know, based on how the teams are arranged, who does the committee want to advance? Well, that's usually a pretty good pick to advance. If, if the committee wants them to advance, they're probably going to. And the teams the committee might like to not see advance, well, once again, you sort of assume their deck might be just a little bit stacked against them. An example of that that's getting a little bit of controversy, Kelvin Sampson talked about this the other day, one seed Houston, if it advances to round two, you know, they have the pod system where, like, you may be playing uh, a series of games with teams from outside of your region they they organize pods based on travel more so than based on the actual regions themselves in the early stages now when you go to the second weekend it, it's all you know you have you have regional locations but but for the the first weekend it's a pod system where you're playing a little closer to home they do this as a way of selling tickets they do this as a way of keeping travel costs uh, down and so you have a situation where Birmingham is one of the pod locations for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Alabama's going to play there. They've earned that right as a one seed. But Houston, another one seed, is also going to play there. They're going to play there against Auburn. Now, one of the guys on the NCAA selection committee is Greg Byrne. He's the Alabama athletic director. And he was kind of facing some questions this week about just how come it is uh, that, that Houston's got to go as a one seed, essentially what amounts to a road game. Now, Birmingham and Auburn aren't necessarily right next door to each other, but there's a bunch of Auburn fans who obviously live in the Birmingham area. And Samson said, hey, you know, maybe we should have been a nine seed so we could play a little closer to home. So Kelvin Samson's obviously not too happy about this. 
it's pretty obvious that Houston, not necessarily one of the power programs in college football, not one of the most robust fan bases. This is not exactly the kind of team that CBS and Turner Broadcasting and all those you know entities that cover this tournament, they don't want Houston advancing because Houston doesn't have as big a following as some of the other programs do. Uh, so maybe you make their path to the tournament as challenging as you can make it. And playing Auburn round two close to home is an example of that. Well, Greg Byrne defended it saying, that I know people think there's all these like plants in place. He says there's none of that. But boy, hard to imagine none of these potential second round matchups get thought about when you do have Auburn close to home against a one seed that they probably don't love. Um, you've got the potential of a Texas Texas A&M round two matchup. That seems a little too perfect to be totally coincidental. Committee's been singing this song for a long time. No one ever believes it. And <laughs> not quite so sure i believe it either but nonetheless greg burns speaking out about that and so we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and here on dog nation daily presented by Breda pass man i want to turn your attention back to the sort of serious topic that we were discussing a moment ago and when it comes to what happened in january the automobile accident that cost uh devin willick and chandler Lecoy their life you know, we came on the air on that Monday after that, and I think we were all in agreement on that day. This was incredibly, incredibly sad, and we all talked about that. I shared my thoughts on this. Many of you shared your thoughts there as well, and we just tried to have a, as much of an open form as we're capable of having on a show like this to just sort of discuss what it felt like to deal with such incredible sadness. I'll never forget the ding that came on my phone when the email came through announcing that accident on that Sunday morning. I sat there with my uh, daughter. We were watching uh tv early in the morning and it was just it was just horrible it was just such a tough tough thing and we all have kind of had our peace kind of dealing with that and then i think also kind of we have an awareness that hey for a situation this serious there was going to be a lot of scrutiny about what went on you can't have loss of life without some sort of examination of how it came to be this occur we all understand that this was a very serious situation this remains a very serious situation and over the course of that scrutiny over the course of that examination investigation if you will that that's kind of been ongoing you know we've learned some things we learned about Jalen Carter's involvement in uh, the wreck uh, a couple of weeks ago and there have been moments including the Carter situation where I have to be honest with you I think Georgia maybe could have handled some of this a little bit better a word that I've used before sloppy it, it seemed like some of what has gone on here has been a little bit sloppy in a lot of ways, maybe not quite as tightened up, as buttoned up as it possibly could be. And I've been kind of on guard to learn about more information and, and, and more stuff that, that, that had to be kind of dealt with, had to be considered, had to be maybe for a show like this even talked about. And the more all this kind of stuff has gone on, the more you're led to believe that, yeah, this was obviously an incredibly serious situation. And there were moments at various points in which folks associated with Georgia could have made different decisions that obviously, you know, would have prevented this from happening. This was a tragedy that could have been avoided. To use the word that I used with Mike Griffith a moment ago, the sense that I get here is that while this is incredibly sad, Look into, the, into this as much as I'm capable of based on the information that's been presented to us. While it is sad, I don't see it as sinister. I don't. And while there are some tough questions that I think in some respects have rightly been asked, you know, the idea that all of this kind of points to some sort of failure on the part of Kirby Smart, I, I don't see that either, to be honest with you. And if you go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can watch the full press conference that Smart gave yesterday. I think you probably should, just to make sure you are fully aware of exactly what was said by Smart. And there's no confusion about what Kirby did have to say yesterday. Uh, there's one part of this I want to play for you in particular, because you know I think Smart kind of talked about as an institution, as a, as an organization, Georgia football. You know, kind of what is learned from this and maybe where Georgia goes from here. It's been an awful, awful, awful situation. It's the kind of thing emotionally, as Mike Griffith touched on a moment ago, that Georgia players will live with potentially for the rest of their lives. But in terms of, you know, what it says about Georgia, what it means about Georgia, you know, that's where I think there's going to be some differing opinions. This is what Kirby Smart said yesterday in terms of kind of how he leads through this and beyond this moving forward for the future. Here's Kirby Smart from yesterday. 
Absolutely, we've got complete control of our program and our kids in our program. Do kids make mistakes? Yes, young student athletes make mistakes. They do. Um, it happens all across the country. It happens here. Um, there's no lack of control for our program. I think our kids across the board will tell you that we have an incredible culture here. We have a connective tissue that brings our team together. Uh, our, our guys do make mistakes. That's historically probably going to happen when you're 18 to 22 year old. Our job as coaches is to prevent that from happening and uh, that starts with me and you do it by how you educate your players and how you discipline your, discipline your players and we'll continue to do that at a high standard. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with anything that Kirby Smart says there. I hear responsibility. I hear uh, leadership. I hear trying to deal with an incredibly sad situation. And obviously, there were some, 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 you know, clearly, I mean, you know, it seems try to say that mistakes were made, but there were clearly some mistakes made along the way by a lot of different people that, that could have maybe prevented this from happening. But I don't see anything sinister at play here. And for people who want to kind of string together this and that and that and say, oh, it, it's cultural issue at Georgia. You know, frankly, those dots don't connect for me. This is a really bad incident. And I don't mind saying there are elements of this incident that Georgia, I think, could have handled better. But to me, this doesn't rise beyond right now just being a really bad incident. And you know, it'd be very easy for me as the host of a show that's about Georgia football, a show for Georgia football fans, say, all right, that's it. Sweep it all under the rug. It'd be very easy for me to maybe do that. That's not what I'm doing here. What I'm doing here is saying, hey, based on the information that, that we've had made available to us, based on the things that Kirby Smart has said, both in his press conference yesterday and uh, the interview with ESPN a couple of weeks ago, it sounds like to me Georgia's doing the best it possibly can to address what was a very serious, and use the same word again, sad situation going back to January and you know, trying to help younger people make the right decision is the kind of challenge that coaches, teachers, parents, adults of all stripes have been trying to do for for many, many decades. Georgia's not unique in that category. So um, to me – Unless something new and different that we don't currently know, unless that becomes available and aware, we become aware of that sometime in the next few weeks. This sort of felt like a little bit of a punctuation mark to me yesterday that that something happened. It was bad. Um, some decisions were made, including the Jalen Carter situation that could have been far worse. But ultimately, you know, Carter did stay you know he he you know he came back he talked to police he 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 gave his statement he did his thing it may not have been uh exactly perfect the way that that he should have done it from the outset but when it was all said and done he spoke to police on the scene this was was not as bad as it possibly could have been even in the midst of all this sadness and that just sort of felt like the uh, I, I guess the, the 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 punctuation mark to all this yesterday tough tough situation and Georgia trying to make sense of all of this and kind of moving on uh, to the next phase of this, uh, of, of this football team as it begins spring practice here right now. So uh, obviously that's a serious issue, and that's a little bit different than what we normally talk about there, but I thought that, uh, to be honest with you, I thought that Kirby Smart did a pretty good job of uh, taking these questions yesterday, tough questions that need to be asked, answers need to be given, and frankly, I think that Kirby Smart has uh, given those answers. So uh, no criticism from me about how Kirby dealt with all of this there yesterday. And never easy to kind of go from something like that to the stuff that we typically do around here. But uh, we will close out the golden shoe here today because yesterday we're talking a little bit about um, the fact that Colorado's spring game is going to be on ESPN for, uh, for coming up a few weeks. Alabama relegated to uh, internet streaming. Crimson Tide fans weren't too happy about that. Our buddy Mad Dog was uh, making some fun of them there on that, saying ESPN is going to televise Colorado's spring game, but Alabama is going to be streaming only. Hashtag Golden Shoe. You see Nick Saban as a baby saying, it's not fair. We're better than Colorado. Yeah. That whining, no stranger to Nick Saban here these days, it would seem. By the way, Gator Hater Countdown, we made fun of those lousy, stinking Gators earlier. About 227 days from right now, Georgia back in Jacks will beat in Florida again. Maybe the last cocktail party of them all. And if that be the case, Georgia wants to go out in style. We'll see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.
and on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here via Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, comment section at dognation.com. And one of the things I would like to have made mention of on the show today, if we had more time, was Jeff's story at Dog Nation yesterday about uh, five-star quarterback Dylan Riola's visit to Georgia this week. A lot of reaction coming in there on that. Uh, Pete's dog uh, weighs in on the idea that Georgia the place to come if you want to win championships. <laughs> he says if you want to go play nobodies, then go to USC or Nebraska. And you know, I don't know ultimately what wins out in the recruitment of Riola, but there is an element in which, you know, Georgia as a program is just far more relevant. Now, listen, USC's working to try to change that. They had the Heisman winner this past year. Obviously, they have a great pedigree of quarterbacks. Clearly, guys like Riola noticed that. But but if winning's the name of the game, then Georgia's the place you come to be able to do that. UGA Dad 20, though, writes in to say, unfortunately, though, it's not about winning anymore. It's about NIL money and building your brand. And, you know, listen, I certainly understand that, that, um, that we do live in an NIL age. We do live in a time in which things are the same way they've always been, as everybody wants to take care of themselves and wants, you know, to reward themselves financially. But even with the advent of NIL, and even with the more open way in which money is being discussed in college football now, you know, the notion of uh, of winning games still matters. Look how happy these Georgia players have been over the course of the last couple of years winning a national championship. Now, they're a special breed who clearly is committed to winning in a way that not all college players are. Uh, but winning is its own reward for them, and it goes beyond just the lucrative windfall that could come their way because of the football success they're having. So winning does still matter, and you know, even in a day and age in which NIL is obviously a very big part of the conversation, there's still more to recruiting than just that. Uh, you probably have to have some sort of NIL package together to compete for a guy like Rayola. That's fair, and that may be true for Georgia too. But ultimately, it kind of comes down to where do I want to live for the next three to four years? And which of these places, and you hope players are thinking this way, which of these places, whether it be in the case of Rayola and Nebraska, USC, or Georgia, or in any recruitment, the kinds of schools that battle out, you know, who's setting me up for success beyond this over the course of the next 30 to 40 years? And, you know, those are all part of this discussion. One way or another, though, the, the real prime time moments of the 2024 recruiting cycle are about to happen. Visits are taking place. Ryle is on campus coming up pretty soon. Official visits start rolling out in the summer, and we will see the work that George can do to put together another elite recruiting class and one that by appearances has a chance in 2024 to be as good as anything that Kirby Smart's done thus far this time in Georgia. So that'll be fun to watch, and we'll obviously be a part of that here on Dog Nation Daily and our podcast Cooldown, presented by R.S. Andrews. Find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs, showing up on time, doing the work that's promised for the price that's promised. That is what R.S. Andrews is all about. You'll have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We'll look forward to talking to you then.